0: This Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM Columbia.
1: Good morning to you wherever you are. Welcome to Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, uh, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio, and it's also the home for Radio Orbit. And you're listening to it every Sunday morning here from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and as I said before, my name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every week on Radio Orbit. And let's get it going. We have a very exciting show for you all tonight. Get things going with a quick thank you to Gail. Incredible show she did tonight. I hope you all had a chance to listen to Heart and Soul. Uh, Gail doing a wonderful job, as she's done for many years here. And uh, I appreciate the music that she played tonight and uh, uh, the message that she was sending out as well. So thanks to Gail. And a uh, Happy New Year to everybody else out there. Uh, we actually... Um, had a great time last night. I did the uh, KOPN sponsored a show down at the Blue Note last night. Uh, Bachman's uh opened up for Big Smith, and both of those bands did a tremendous job. We had a great time. Anybody who was out there uh, last night, thanks for coming down to the Blue Note and uh, supporting KOPN. And uh, anyway, you, uh, you got your just reward, because it was a good time, and everybody had A whole lot of fun down there. Uh, Also down at Mojo's last night, the Bel Air is uh, also a KOPN show. So if you were down there at Mojo's, I hope you had a good time. And, again, thanks for showing up and supporting uh, the Blue Note and Mojo's and, uh, and KOPN, okay? All right, uh, tonight it is New Year, so we've got a little bit of a special show planned for you. There's some incredible things that have been happening over the last week. And, uh, in fact, uh, things that we talk about on this program pretty regularly um, that, uh, that might not get so much <clears throat> attention in the mainstream actually came to the forefront in the last 10 days. Uh, It's uh, certainly no mystery to people what I'm talking about. The uh, earthquake that happened in the Indian Ocean, actually there were two of them over the course of three days, Uh, and of course we know now what happened. There was a tsunami, uh, a giant wave that was created from the shifts in those plates and uh, caused a tremendous amount of devastation and uh, loss of life, and uh, we're going to be talking about that tonight, and in fact uh, this show is a New Year's show, and I want it to be a A sort of hopeful show Uh, and uh, it's a little bit of a challenge to find hope sometimes uh, when you turn on the news or listen to the radio and see the things that are happening right now but uh, I think we're going to convince you tonight that there are reasons for hope and uh, one of the ways that I'm going to get that across to you is uh, the piece of um, uh, production that I'm going to air in about an hour I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes, I'm not sure exactly when, we'll see where time leads us, because I have a lot to do in this first hour, but uh, we're going to play an old presentation from one of my heroes, and I've talked about him on this program a number of times, and his name was Terrence McKenna, and uh, Terrence was, uh, and is, even though uh, right now it's from beyond the grave, Terrence died in the year 2000. Uh, In any case, he was a prophet, and a poet, and... uh, Uh, a philosopher, and a genius by all accounts. And uh, Terrence uh, said a lot of things over his his time that he was here on planet Earth, but uh, some of the most profound were in a particular performance that he did that was titled Unfolding the Stone. And uh, we're going to play a selected section of that a particular talk that Terrence gave in 1991. Uh, and like I said, it's called Unfolding the Stone, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but uh, uh, you're in for a, a great treat if you're lucky enough to be listening to, uh, to that particular part of the show because Terrence was something else. And anybody who has an opportunity to listen to the things that Terrence had to say uh, is, a, is a person who's, uh, who's lucky. So, okay, we've got that coming up. In the meantime, uh, we are going to do space weather like we always do. We'll play some good music like we always do. We're going to get, uh, I'll probably try to get Kent Stedman on the phone uh, for a few minutes uh, coming up here. I'm not sure if I can get him or not, but I want to talk about uh, the tsunami with him a little bit because uh, the, the, uh, uh, the investigation and the, and the, um, uh, the follow-up research uh, that he's been doing and that uh, some of the associates that he works with are doing are incredible and we're going to talk about some of that stuff uh, there was also an X-Class uh, solar flare last night right, up, right around midnight time uh, uh, in Greenwich meantime actually so um, as you know again on this program we talk about the sun quite a bit and if you've heard me talk about it before you know that an X-Class flare is a serious solar event and there may be uh, coronal mass ejections associated with that flare that may be hurtling towards Earth right now that can further affect the magnetic field of this planet. Uh, so we'll talk about that in uh, in a few minutes if I can get Kent on the air, okay? And if I can't, we'll just uh, we'll just do our best. Um, we'll just do our best without him. Okay. What else do I want to talk about? Hey, uh, a quick thank you to Casey as well. Casey sat in for me last week and. Uh, Uh, Did the show for me and did a wonderful job, if I do say so. Uh, Casey is uh, a young guy that does a show here himself on Thursday nights. I take that back. It's Wednesday nights. It's called Blues in the Night, and uh, Casey's on the air from 10 until midnight on Wednesday. So uh, check him out. uh, And uh, Casey, if you're out there, I appreciate you sitting in for me last week. All right. uh, What else? Uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, Blue Note. Big Smith. Incredible. Bachman's Euphoria. Great stuff. So, uh, let's get into the show here Thank you everybody for the emails that you send to me Uh, And hello to everybody that's listening over the web uh, Through the archives I appreciate all the notes that you send me last week I had a couple of really interesting notes Especially that one about podcasting And uh, uh, it's something that I'm looking into a little bit further If you don't know what podcasting is Well, go out and do a web search on that And uh, maybe you can uh, end up doing what I'm doing right now And that is uh, do your own radio show through hyperspace, as it were uh, so anyway, as always, thanks uh, for the stuff that you guys send me. I appreciate it. Um, because of uh, <clears throat> uh, because of the events in Southeast Asia and in the Indian Ocean, as I said before, we're going to do sort of a, uh, a little philosophical side to the start of the year here. Um, and I can't think of a better way to do it than uh, with the wisdom of Terrence McKenna, like I told you. Uh, I will uh, preface this by saying there may be a couple of... Uh, Uh, bad words used in that uh, presentation, and I'll try to listen for them and and, uh, zap them out real fast, but if not, I apologize. There's nothing that's going to offend anybody, including children. Uh, It's just uh, uh, Terrence uses some colorful language uh, once in a while, or used to. Okay, um, What else do I want to talk about here? Well, I said we're going to talk, we'll we'll try to get a hold of Kent because of the uh, uh, solar activity. Uh, We talked a little bit about Terrence. Let's do space weather here in a minute, um, and I'll talk about some of the upcoming guests real fast before we do that. As you know, uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette will be on the program on January 23rd. That is an interview that is already in the can, so to speak, and it just needs to be edited and aired, and uh, Dr. LaViolette has a number of books, including Earth Under Fire and Genesis of the Cosmos and uh, uh, Subquantum Kinetics, a systems approach to to physics and astrophysics. Uh, Paul LaViolette is a PhD astrophysicist and uh, has been published in all the major uh, science journals over the last 25 to 30 years. He's a freaking genius, and he's going to be talking to us, among other things, about Uh, the connection between ancient mythology and uh, uh, current real-time reality in our day and age uh, and the connection to the physical world and the physical laws that we um, believe make the universe, the galaxy, and the physical world operate the way that it does. Uh, Paul LaViolette is also going to be talking with us a little bit about anti-gravity technology, something that he uh, stumbled across many, many years ago uh, and has been a proponent of uh, for a long time as well. So that's coming up on January 23rd. On the 30th of January, Nick Cook, the uh, former aerospace editor for Jane's Defense Weekly will be on the program live from his home in London and we will be talking further about these new ideas of propulsion and energy and anti-gravity technology and uh, Nick Cook is a guy who was an insider for 15 years uh, working in the industry and for 10 years was the editor of Jane's Defense Weekly and uh, for those uh, who uh, follow this sort of stuff you know that Jane's it is considered the Bible uh, as far as military uh, technology goes. They report and cover that stuff more thoroughly than any other journal on the planet. And they've been recognized as doing that for some time. So if you're looking for guys with credentials, uh, Dr. Paul Laviolette and Nick Cook, uh, the week after him, uh, should be a couple of really interesting shows. And, and as I said, we're going to be concentrating quite a bit this year on these ideas of alternative energy And new technologies that might be in the black, uh, that might be uh, in the covert spaces right now, uh, and may have been there for some time, frankly, uh, and try to drag those things out of the closet so that we might be able to implement them in the public sector and uh, try to help resolve some of these uh, many, many problems that... Uh, our species and our planet are facing right now. So that's coming up over the next few weeks. Sean Montgomery, I've mentioned that before. Sean is a researcher who uh, specializes in the life and history of Royal Raymond Rife. Royal Raymond Rife was a medical and scientific genius in the early 1900s. And interestingly, he's been basically wiped clean from the historical record. Uh, But uh, uh, if you look hard enough, you can find information about Mr. Rife including in the American Medical Association's own historical journals, believe it or not. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about with Sean Montgomery and uh, uh, with regard to the work and the genius of Royal Raymond Rife. That will be coming up in a few weeks as well. Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, uh, Ph.D. evolutionary biologist from Cambridge in uh, England, will be on the program as well. Not sure when exactly. Uh, Dr. Sheldrake is a very busy man, and again, for people that look into... Uh, The ideas of evolutionary biology and um, planetary history, morphic resonance, morphogenetic fields, these are um, areas of research that Dr. Sheldrake has pioneered over the last 15 to 25 years, I'd say 20 years, I guess, longer. But uh, in any case, uh, Dr. Sheldrake, uh, in an interesting piece of irony, uh, Rupert Sheldrake had Uh, A pretty close friendship with Terence McKenna who I mentioned earlier we're going to be playing a piece of uh, Terence's old work tonight called Unfolding the Stone Um, but Terence and Rupert were friends and had some amazing conversations over the years about these things and they were both brilliant brilliant uh, men and uh, Rupert's still around and we're lucky that he's still with us and his ideas and theories are among the most provocative and interesting and important on the planet today so Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, again, a Ph.D. evolutionary biologist from Cambridge University in uh, England, will be coming to us hopefully within the next two months. Uh, Richard K. Moore, sort of a social commentator and a historian. He'll be on the show in next few weeks here. Uh, Michael Heisen, Dr. Michael Heisen, the uh, marine biologist who we spoke with back in November uh, about dolphins and whales and the incredible abilities of those animals in the ocean uh, that uh, uh, I consider brothers and sisters of the human species, I sort of look at humankind as the steward of the earth, the steward of the land, and I look at the dolphins and the cetaceans, the whales, the orcas, as sort of the stewards of the sea. and. Um, Quite frankly, they're doing a better job of keeping their act together down there than we're doing up here on Earth, and uh, we owe it to them and all the other critters that run around this planet to uh, do a little bit of a better job than what we're doing, and we're capable of it. There's certainly no question about that in my mind. I believe that we have the answers. I believe that we've had the answers for some time, Um, but it's just a matter of implementing those answers and doing things the right way, the way that we know they have to be done. You know, It reminds me, uh, and Terrence may talk about this uh, later, but it reminds me of back in the 15th century when the telescope was invented. Well, the truths that were exposed by that telescope were not something that the established order, the institutionalized establishment of the time could bear to grasp. And so even though the answers were there, even though the tool was in the hand, the answers were not recognized, denied. Uh, Anyone that talked about those particular answers were burned at the stake and called a heretic and uh, had... All manner of nasty things done to them and their families, and uh, it took many, many years before the implications of that invention, the telescope, were actually realized and implemented into uh, the, the modern day society. Uh, so, to think that things are any different now, to think that things are any different today, is hubris and arrogance and not very intelligent. And these things are happening right now, and just like in the days of Galileo and Copernicus, uh, the scientists, the men and women on the cutting edge today, on the leading edge today, they are treated primarily (coughs) the same way as their historical peers and predecessors have been treated. And so we have to keep that in mind, and we have to bring that stuff out, we have to entertain these ideas we have to push push and push the envelope we have to strive for ever greater understanding and imagination and as you know imagination is another thing that we talk about quite a bit on this program Uh, but uh, imagination is what it's all about and with the imagination of the human being we are capable literally of everything Um, But the imagination has to be employed, and it has to be modulated with wisdom and intelligence. And uh, that, in a nutshell, is what we're going to be talking about tonight. And uh, quite frankly, we're going to be talking about that a lot this whole year, I think, because uh, 2005 is here, it's upon us. It promises to be the most novel of any, and... um, don't fear it. Kick back. Embrace it. And bring it on. All right. Back in a minute with Space Weather. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. This is U2 from War, New Year's Day. KOPN Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. That was uh, New Year's Day, a fitting tune for the beginning of this new year. And uh, uh, we're going to do space weather here in just a second. There are a couple things that I forgot to mention uh, before that first break. First of all, uh, the phone number uh, here and uh, my email address and website address and all that sort of stuff. So let's zip through that real fast. Um, for anybody, uh, if you ever have questions, comments, concerns, ideas, whatever, for this program, you can always send me an email. Uh, my email address is orbitradio, O R B I T R A D I O, at AOL.com. All right, so orbitradio at AOL.com. Send me an email if you have anything that you'd like to mention. Uh, also, the website address uh, for those interested. You can go to the web and uh, go to www.radioorbit.com. That's R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T dot com. Just one O shared by radio and orbit in the middle of that word. So R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T dot com. Check it out. All the previous programs, all the past shows are archived there uh, for the people who can't stay up and listen to the whole show or uh, weren't able to listen for whatever reason. So that stuff's there for you. Uh, We'll have this show up in just a couple of days. And uh, it'll be one to remember—the New Year's show here. Uh, I've got Kent Stedman on the line uh, from cyberspaceorbit.com. You know Kent, if you're a regular listener of this program, and uh, we're not going to have him uh, the whole show, but we're going to have him for 15 or 20 minutes to talk about what's going on on the sun, and also maybe a little bit about these—the uh, uh, earthquakes that uh, we saw in the Indian Ocean. Pardon me, in the Indian Ocean over the last. 10 days or so, and uh, some of the results and the ongoing investigations and all that stuff. So we're going to do space weather real fast here, and then we'll bring Kent on. Uh, in the meantime, uh, during Terrence's talk, I'll be here in the studio, and uh, the number here is area code 573-874-5676. That's 874-5676. And the 800 number, if you're outside of the 573 area code, is one eight hundred eight nine five. 895 5676 that's 800-895-5676, give me a buzz and uh, let me know uh, if you like what we're doing, and uh, uh, just say hi, okay, also one other thing, uh, I have a close friend, uh, his name is Johnny, I won't uh, say his last name on the air because I don't have permission, but uh, uh, Johnny is a great uh, singer-songwriter, and a musician friend of mine from Denver who happens to be here in town. And I'm hoping that he'll be driving up here and pulling into the parking lot at the station here any minute now. And uh, hopefully within the next uh, hour and a half or so, we'll have some live music here in studio uh, with my friend John. And uh, that'll be a treat for everybody. In fact, some world premiere music uh, from, like I say, one of the most uh, talented uh, singer-songwriter types uh, uh, that I've... uh, That I've known in a long time and uh, yeah Johnny's a great guitarist and he's written some incredible stuff so so hopefully uh, we get that together and that'll be the first time I've ever done that I've never had any live uh, uh, in-studio musicians before so it'll be a little experiment but I look forward to it and um, I thank uh, John in advance for uh, for coming out here and doing that with us okay okay space weather as I said at the beginning of the program we had an x-class flare yesterday the new year's began uh, the new year began with a with a bang, so to speak, uh, I think it measured about X2 on the uh, on the scale. But uh, regardless, any 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 flare in the X range is a significant solar event. Um, that uh, happened just around midnight Greenwich Mean Time uh, last night, uh, right on sort of the. Uh, the welcoming in of the new year itself and it came from a a sunspot region that's on the face uh, on the 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 earth the earth-facing side of the sun right now that sunspot region is area 715 and it's this funky figure eight shaped looking sunspot area that is capable of launching these giant flares and uh... I don't know, we'll have to ask Kent when he gets on the air if there was a CME, a coronal mass ejection that was associated with that flare. Uh, But in any case, um, there's again very, very uh, high activity on the sun during a time when we're supposed to be seeing uh, a lessening of that activity. So the sun is still out of whack and not following the patterns that it's supposed to follow as it has for now the last four or five years. Uh, things have been very strange on the sun and we've been watching that uh we've been watching that in real time and just sort of living through it and uh when these things happen it's always a uh, it's always an amazing thing to me no matter how many times i see it happen and man uh this this morning's was was no different. so we'll talk with kent about that uh there's a meteor shower uh that's uh that's coming up on monday morning uh that'll be around on about 4 30 or so uh, a.m on the third of january that's a, a basically twenty four hours from now, uh, the quadranted meteor shower will peak and um, in western parts of north america you'll have le- you'll probably have some pretty good view and the quadrantids are a pretty um, a pretty strong meteor shower, and you may get up to 100, 200 meteors per hour that you can see zipping through the atmosphere and burning up as they come into contact with the uh, with the upper atmosphere of the planet so uh anybody who's into sc- uh, just sky watching uh check out the quadranted meteor shower uh, all you do is get up tomorrow morning early and uh just uh check it out all right uh let's see what else there's a comet uh, that's in the news uh, this is uh, an actual naked eye comet right now that's cruising by it's called comet matchholz its actual designation is two thousand four Q two and it's approaching Earth right now and uh, sort of cruising through the constellation of Taurus if you're looking for the uh, uh, if you're looking for the uh, for the comet you'll have to look in the area of the constellation of Taurus and it will be easy to find uh, you just have to look to the south between i don't know nine ten o'clock at night uh, and It'll look like a sort of a fuzzy, faint, green star. Uh, And if you have a telescope or some good binoculars, you'll see the tails of the comet. But it will appear to be green, actually. Um, And that has to do with the composition of the comet. And uh, some of the more technical uh, ideas that are involved with that stuff. But anyway, cool stuff. Uh, And again, signs in the heavens. Watch the skies. Watch the skies. And, uh, okay, with that, uh, what else do I want to talk about for space weather? Venus and Mercury, uh, pretty cool thing going on right now. Uh, if you go outside about six o'clock in the morning, look east uh, toward the rising sun, you will see Mercury and Venus. They're very close right now and will be for the next few days, just a couple of degrees apart. And that's a very pretty sight, uh, that you can, uh, that you can see in the mornings uh, for the next few days. So, okay, with that, uh, that's about all I want to do with space weather. Uh, Let's bring on uh, Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit. Hopefully he's here on the line with us. For those unfamiliar, uh, go to www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Dot com to see what kent is about uh he's a regular guest on this program an inspiration to me uh somebody who actually helped me get this idea together to do this program and uh, somebody who we're real fortunate to t- uh, to be able to talk to uh, as frequently as we do um about uh well just uh, <clears throat> the whole the whole gambit life and the world and the universe and all these crazy things that we're experiencing as we go through it so anyway uh without further delay uh kent do i have you here Huh, I guess not. Uh, we will have to get him back on the phone here. In fact, that's a, that's a good opportunity to go do a piece of music. I'll get Kent back on the air here in just a second. And um, uh, we will uh, come back in just a second. Okay, uh, this is Soundgarden from Super Unknown. It's called Fell on Black Days. Back in a minute, this is Mike Hagen Radio Orbit. <laughs> Garden KOPN radio orbit. This is Mike Hagan, and it 's about 2 forty in, mor- in the morning, and uh, I lost my friend Kent Stedman there for a moment, but I think I 've got him back and uh, Kent uh, I did a little introduction for you because I thought you were still on the air. Uh, But uh, uh, everybody knows uh, who you are now And so let's just bring Kent on the air And we're going to talk a little bit about this solar flare And maybe a little bit about the tsunami and the quakes that uh, uh, have happened And anyway, uh, for those, uh, like I said before, if you're not familiar Kent is a regular guest on this program And somebody who we're real fortunate to be able to talk to a lot So uh, without further delay, hey Kent, how's it going?
0: Hey, it's crazy
1: Wow, no kidding No kidding, sorry I lost you there before
0: might be a fast report because my daughter's friends are coming over to pick her up and the door is about six feet away and they might be banging on the door. <laughs> All right, so well, but that gives you a little glimpse into real life at Kent's place.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's uh, it's, it's the real deal. I I, I, I had uh, my, my, my friend John, I don't know if you were still on the air when I was talking about this, but I've got a friend, Johnny, uh, who's in town. Uh, from Denver and he's a a pretty talented guitarist and uh, songwriter and he's going to be playing some music in the studio here later with me and uh, he had to run home because he forgot his lousy guitar tuner, and my wife and one and a half month old or one and a half year old son are trying to sleep and it 's three thirty in the morning and he 's sneaking around the house looking for a freaking guitar tuner, and my wife 's going to chew my head off I know it when I get home so so it 's real life, no doubt about it, but uh, you know there's some real life things happening all around the world right now, and some of them have been uh, quite amazing and uh, uh, i guess uh, The time that we do have, Kent, we got maybe 15, 20 minutes with Kent tonight. Um, Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So anyway, uh, yeah, because I'm late. Uh, Anyway, uh, there's a lot going on, so why don't you just jump into it? Let's talk about the the earthquakes, the tsunamis, that solar flare that happened last night.
0: Well, uh, I mean, it's like more and more like we're living in Oz or something, because what do we get? We get one of the worst disasters in in my history, anyway, uh, on the Christmas
1: Right, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry
0: Christmas and then uh almost right at midnight UTC transition between 2004 and 2005 this big X-class flare. Uh blue now I don't know if it's going to send a CME at us it might be a tangent hit. It's hard to tell, it depends on which the solar winds and how far far south it it things go. But,
1: uh, when, Kent, when will we know whether there's an Earth-directed CME associated with that flare?
0: Well, I don't know. Everybody's saying they don't know, so I don't know either. I, I've looked at several sites. It's a little too far on the eastern cusp. Let me see what's going on right now. Well we're getting uh, we're getting uh, some uh, minor magnetic storm now in what you call the yellow range. right? And the magnetometer sort of jumping up and down, but that could be from one of the M-class flares. That uh, there's been a series of spikes with a certain cadence or periodicity, and uh, I expect as this uh, sunspot, which, by the way, to make it all even more weird, looks like it looks like a. Uh, infinity
1: symbol <laughs> yeah before when when I when I lost when I lost you there I was I was talking about that sunspot area eight, or 715 I think the number is and yeah, yeah it looks like a like a figure 8 uh, yeah. in, infinity thing floating there on the surface of sunspot like number 8 yeah and it's huge it's huge so anyway who knows what uh, what else that uh, that particular area might have in store for us so anyway yeah what else uh, what else you think
0: well, the big story is the quake—the 9. Point, maybe 9.1, maybe 9.2—and I've heard speculation go all the way up to 9.9.
1: My God! <laughs> yeah, it was—it was. It was, it was, it was
0: s- devastating. Yeah. It was devastating. Most—at least the most powerful earthquake in 50 years. And if they keep upping the ante, not only on its seismicity but the number of uh, casualties and, unfortunately, yeah. dead people, you know. Yeah. Up to about there uh, a million and a half now. Right, right. And uh, you know we're not getting the total straight deal on mainstream news. Uh, I'm Isn't that
1: right? To, now that really surprises me.
0: I'm talking to people in <laughs> Malaysia, you know, that have been readers of my website, cyberspaceorbit.com, for a long time, and they're they're saying, hey, you know, it, <laughs> there are whole cities, whole villages they're gone
1: <laughs> yeah I found gone just gone quote
0: unquote city's gone don't you understand gone
1: and that's a quote from someone from your from your yeah, site yeah. he
0: lives in Malaysia
1: yeah I saw that and in up
0: in northern mm-hmm. Malaysia you know Ake Ake A-C-H-E-H the station was just uh, nothing standing nothing standing and I, I'm looking at a photograph of a Either an island or a peninsula that was reduced in terms of its uh, uh, infrastructure was reduced in half, if not the whole island itself. Some some islands have just gone, disappeared. My God! And these are inhabited—you know, old, old uh, inhabited by ancient people that have been there for a long time. They're uh-uh. heavily populated, so.
1: Yeah, I think about the, uh, uh, and, I, and I don't want to dwell on casualties. <clears throat> uh, I mean, the bottom line is that a lot of, there was a you know, huge loss of life, and it's ongoing, and there's a serious situation going on, no question about it. Uh, um, but I really don't even understand how the estimates could even be done, almost. Uh, they, uh, can't. they can't be. They can't be, you know, and, and it reminds me, and again, of <laughs> human. Hubris, and you know, it's it's just it's just a further extension of this idea that we have to be in control. And even when an event happens like what happened a few days ago, uh, to to show self-evidently that no one is in control of the natural world, even though uh, some of these guys may think that they are. That even after an event like that, they have to again further act like they're in control we know exactly what happened we have you know we know exactly how many people die we know exactly what to do to solve the problems in the future we're going to have uh mm-hmm. response systems and blah 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 and all this stuff and it's uh, and it just uh it just is more of the same to me it's a little bit frustrating when i see that happen because i think that these things are are wake-up calls to try to get us out of the uh, out of that out of that situation so anyway
0: well, a couple of weird things about it. the Earth is still ringing like a gun. I mean, you go look at the USGS site, and it's 5.6, 6.6, you know, four, right. 4.9, 5. of quakes in the 5 to 6 region.
2: Right, and those are
0: big quakes. Th- you know, right. and what occurs to me, uh, you know, how wave propagation goes, if those if those uh, quakes start hitting in a certain
1: uh, 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 cadence. A dissonant fashion, sort of, yeah.
0: If they start hitting in a certain cadence, like electromagnetic waves kick up a standing wave, they, you know, we could potentially see a huge tidal wave simply because it gets the, the impulse bumps at the right moment, you know, in comparison to the one prior to it. Boom! Boom! Boom!
1: Right. Boom! Boom! Ken, is that is, is an analogy for that something like when a lot of people have seen a video sometimes of like a suspension bridge that gets uh, a little bit of a, a shake to it or a wobble and then it gets dissonant and all of a sudden it starts to shake and shake and shake and pretty soon it destroys itself.
0: Yeah, It's like jumping on a trampoline too. You hit or playing tennis, you hit the sweet spot, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, it's dangerous, and and there's a lot of wild stuff going, speculation going on. Some people are saying, well, the quake was unnatural, you know, and they're talking about uh, tectonic
1: weapons. Right, right, and we know we've talked about that that, on the air before. And if
0: that's too exotic for you, then then they're talking about uh, the the ocean drilling program that's been going on and search for natural resources, oil and so on, where they... uh, uh, (laughs) They literally, uh, uh, thousands of places on the ocean floor, they're they're drilling. And then then they shoot off these, they send a sonic boom down with huge air guns down into the hole. And then that way they're able to, to read the, you know, the layers of the earth 60 miles down almost.
2: Right, right, right.
0: Well, that had been going on before the Tasmanian quake, which was on the 23rd. That was preliminary to the big
1: one in uh, Sumatra, you know. Right. another
0: the... 8.1 in Tasmania. That's a great quake, well, too.
1: Kent, I want to point that out, that uh, in the last 15 years, there have been 11 uh, recorded quakes on the planet that have been over magnitude 8, and two of them have been in the last 10 days. Now that is a what the what the mathematicians would call a statistical anomaly, and that makes people go, oh boy.
0: <laughs> well, see, uh, on the on November 28th there were a whole bunch of whale and dolphins beached themselves in Tasmania. That's correct. Uh, that's an island off the southern coast of mainland Australia. Right? right, right, right. And in the they beached in New Zealand, and, and they're trying to figure out why. Well, according to Jim Cummings of the Acoustic Ecology Institute, these seismic surveys, you know, and these air guns have been taking place around there. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to track down a certain ship, you know, which I've seen in uh, when there are big quakes. It just happens to be this kind of... <laughs> There's a uh, drill ship that's somewhere in the area. I can't find it. They've made a new alliance with a new <laughs> group, and uh, right, right now they're not publishing, as far as I can see, the Joyd's Resolution. If anybody knows where it is, let me
1: know. <laughs> what's, what's
0: the name of that boat again? It's called the Joids. J J O I D E S
1: Resolution.
0: Resolution.
1: Okay, the Joyd's Resolution. All you sluiced out there. Uh, Try to
0: find for me where it is, what it, what leg it's on right now. And the last I heard, it may have been up around Newfoundland, but uh, mm-hmm. that was a while back. so I don't
1: know. All right, so if so, if you have any information on where that boat might be, and I know there are people out there that do get into this sort of stuff, uh, send me an email. Uh, go to the website or send Kent an email. Go to his website, and uh, that's cyberspaceorbit.com, and we'll mention that again before. Uh, uh, before the top of the hour here. But anyway, yeah, Kent, it seems like there are, and even even, even mainstream science is uh, a, a lot of debate going on, different views as to what is currently going on and, and to even what happened. You know, there, there are a number of scientists in Australia, I think, that are talking about uh, that there was even the possibility of a meteor strike. Uh, yeah. A meteor strike well, that may have caused really, this.
0: This is really spooky. I've got a map on my website. You have to go look at it, cyberspaceorbit.com. It's and this is a report that was published uh, by Yahoo USAcom on the 11th of July of 2004. And Jaco von der Warp.
1: Right, is, right, right, Jaco van der Warp. Well, they've got this map.
0: And, you know, it has one, two, three, four... Archive is impact harbingers they call it, and uh, one of them is directly over Tasmania. One of them is directly over where the 9.0 was impact point. There are two left, one off northern Spain, off the coast of France, and one on land in Africa.
1: Holy cow! So in other words, you're saying that 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 Jocko (laughs) may have may have predicted. the well, first two, if, if that was the scenario, that th- those were the areas where those quakes occurred.
0: Well, this isn't science at all, because this came to Jocko in a from some guy who had this map, came to him in a dream, huh. quote, unquote. But he nailed the first two sites, I pinpointed them, and everybody calls them impacts. Now, we don't know if there's any impact or not, actually.
1: Oh, and, and you know, how do we define the word impact, you know? But anyway, regardless, there were major events at the spots where this guy claimed they were going we'll to happen after i guess so i guess we need to watch the northern coast of <laughs> spain and france huh
0: yeah
1: oh man that's In you. africa
0: and uh, so i go look at the map and tell me and read the report from y'all okay USA, and then anybody that's out there and go take a look at it and then of course you know we know they have uh... mhd generators now which uh... are capable of uh... uh Putting sort of a pulsed wave over a over an active fault area, and uh, what it does, I guess, is to it kind of excites the crystalline structure in the earth below, and uh, it's a tectonic uh, device that can actually. T- trigger
1: a quake you know right right and 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 for 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 the skeptics out there uh we've talked about this on the program before and in fact we uh we've read the abstract of the patent uh for that particular device uh and that's something that anybody can go read for themselves at the u.s patent office uh online and uh if you want to see that stuff like i say if you can't find it uh write me an email go to cyberspaceorbit.com or go to my website at radioorbit.com and and uh And look for yourself, because these things are in the real world now. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Bill Clinton's Secretary of Defense, William Cohen, uh, at a a meeting on anti-terrorism in 1997, uh, spoke uh, on the record about uh, tectonic and uh, weather modification and electromagnetic weaponry uh, that would be used to set off earthquakes, volcanoes, and things of this nature. So, So this stuff is in the public record it may be uh, it may be not uh, on the radar but it's there and 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 these things exist and are real and I mean whether they're in play or not you know Kent you your guess is as good as mine but uh, well all,
0: you know all I know we had a quake a mega quake super quake a great quake on Christmas actually about uh, UTC is about a couple minutes before 1, one a.m. in the morning but here it was Christmas and over there it was Christmas right and uh and then right at midnight UTC, we have this mega flare, and uh, and there's a lot of speculation about this quake flying around. About the best I can do is just to uh, look at it all, including the science, including the mythology, and the, the personal reports, and uh, just t- kind of for for now record it all. Right, and. I- just yeah. slap it all down, which I'm going a million miles an hour trying to do.
1: Right, and I think that's is... and
0: then piece it together with hindsight later and see what we have. You
1: know. Yeah, that's what we need to do because right now, as you say, we don't have a lot of answers. You just need to document what's happening, as and it's ongoing. I want to make that clear again. As Kent was saying, if you uh, the, the the Earth is ringing like a freaking gong, and uh, uh, it's ongoing. I've ne- i Kent, I I've, I've never seen so many 5.0. 6.0 aftershocks, hundreds I mean, thousands of I know, all around the planet. So there is a, a, a sort of a shudder uh, that seems to be uh, happening right now, and we're right in the middle of it. So uh,
0: And they're talking about a change in the, uh, uh, you know, knocking the Earth off a little bit off-keel, a little bit
1: too. <laughs> right, Chandler wobbles changing and that sort of thing. So, wow, incredible. And uh,
0: changing the time uh, on the, by a millisecond on the planet, the way the time works because one plate slipped under another allegedly and so the planet is in a sense shrunk <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, it's a reckoning of time has shrunk. Amazing. It's really fast and we need more uh, specialized people to really look into this and see what's going on uh, because uh, I'm a generalist and Mike is too. I think we're generalists. We try to keep a pulse on a lot of different deals going on and then we uh, collect the uh, bits. and I collect everything whether it comes from uh, uh, science or whatever you know or personal reports there's this report of this guy that was in the uh, tree lock I believe this Christian guy <laughs> that uh, went out to rescue somebody in this tiny boat and this huge wave was uh, the tidal wave was approaching and he stood up in his boat and prayed to God <laughs> <laughs> that the wave would would subside and the wave caved in right in front of him and allowed he and his rescued child, I think it was, to live. I mean, there are things that go on in heaven and earth that we don't understand, you know.
1: All right. You know, um, in the midst of these... Tr- tragic events and these cataclysms there are always these stories that come out like you're talking about and there's another one I read one about a python a giant snake that saved a woman and two children that were drowning and uh, brought them to land a yeah. big freaking snake right so anyway they're, they're in the midst of these stories there are always miracles that are happening and I think that's part of what uh, uh, I think that's part of what's going on here is that uh, those all these things are there to show us uh, things, to teach us things, I think, uh, in a way. So, I don't know, Kent. Um, it's sure an amazing thing. And, th- and then, of course, we have uh, the-, the ghost of Grandfather CeeLo over our shoulder.
2: Yeah, who
0: predicted two years ago, three, was it? Three today? years ago, yeah. In April, that this would all start happening. <laughs> yes, and
1: he predicted it to, to Kent and I personally. Uh, we were in his presence. We spoke with him privately, and this is not a joking man. Not a joking man. This is, this is a spiritual elder of the Lakota Nation, and a man who w- we were fortunate enough to be able to share the same space with him and some of those other guys and girls. So, anyway, serious stuff. So, all right, well, Kent, uh, I'm. Well, thanks
0: uh, for putting up with this. I've got a <laughs> cold. My daughter's here. She's got a cold, but she's going out to. Have some fun on the town anyway. She'll only be here a couple more days.
1: All right. Well, hey, look, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to do it. And uh, Happy New Year to you and the whole family, and we'll talk real soon, okay? Okay. Thanks again. All right, that was Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh, giving us some of his insights into what's going on right now. And uh, we always appreciate the time that Kent spends with us. Uh, This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio. It's your imagination station, and it's the home for Radio Orbit. Uh, This is Mike Hagan. I'll be back in just a minute. Let's play a little piece of music here. This is from World Party. It's called Is It Like Today from their CD, Bang. Many years ago, hey, looked
2: out through a glass this See, it was bad, and Beautiful green fields dream, and dreams And love to measure the stars day.
1: This is Mike Hagan. It's just about six minutes after three o'clock on January 2nd, 2005. Happy New Year to everybody out there and thanks for listening to the program. All right, we just had uh, we just heard from Kent Stedman uh, from cyberspaceorbit.com and we were talking about the tsunami and the solar activity that's going on. Um, but for a few minutes before, uh, and this is related to that, uh, for a few minutes before I air this piece by Terrence McKenna, I just want to talk about a couple things that are on my mind uh, at the beginning of the year right now with everything that's going on and everything that's been going on now for, for quite some time. And, you know, uh, there is this myth that man is the master of nature and is in control of the natural world. And uh, I think that this is at the root of many of the problems that we face right now on our planet. I believe, in fact, that rationalist and reductionist, existentialist belief systems have w- w- reduced life basically to machinery and removed something that Terence will talk about, he will talk about the removal of spirit from matter. And I believe that that's what has happened. You know, uh, reductionist and existentialist ideas have removed spirit from matter. And along with that, we've severed this symbiotic connection between the human, the human animal and the rest of the life forms on this planet and the, and the planet itself, the Earth herself. And this separation from nature, this severing of the umbilical cord uh, that connects us to the natural world is in my opinion the root cause of many, many, many of the issues that we got right now on this planet. And I, I wanna go on the record as saying that, you know, nature is not mute as Jean Paul Sartre would have had us believe. Nature is not mute is not deaf and we are not separate from nature nature is nature is alive and nature speaks to us and we we had a we've had a number of loud screams from the natural world in just the last few days and uh these earthquakes and tidal waves and solar flares this is the natural world speaking to us and uh The human race were out of balance. Individuals, human beings, out of balance. And you see that exploded and reflected in the macrocosm. The planet is out of balance. And the two are connected. The microcosm reflected in and from the macrocosm, both within the other. You know, the idea... Uh, There's the esoteric idea that states, as above, so below. Well, that's a simple way of saying that the universe is fractal and that it's self-similar across scale. And science tells us this now, that the universe is self-similar across scale. What that means is that, you know, in the old days... Uh, it didn't take a genius to recognize that the uh, the structure of the atom and the structure of the solar system and the structure of the galaxy uh, all seem to be sort of uh, the similar idea, this idea of the uh, orbitals and spin and angular momentum. All of these things are self-similar across the scale, regardless if you're looking at a microscopic subatomic particle, or if you blow it up and look at the entire galaxy, or a cluster of galaxies, they're all organized the same way. And uh, they're connected in this manner. Uh, Even the Christians in the Catholic faith, we have the, the, there's a prayer that they call the Our Father. And in the Our Father, there's a line in that prayer that says, on earth as it is in heaven. And in my opinion, this is just another expression of the same idea, that uh, the microcosm is reflected to and from the macrocosm, and so to me, this the reconnection with nature is 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 imperative. If nature is dead, you know, then then history is just this random fluctuation of events, which I do not believe. I don't even think there's evidence for it. I think that uh, trendless fluctuation in a uh, in, an, in an environment that is completely ruled by order throughout, at the biological level, at the cellular level, at the atomic level, at the chemical level, we have order. And uh, then when we get to human history, all of a sudden we supposedly have no order. It's just trendless fluctuation. Well, I disagree with that. I believe that history is for a reason, and I believe that nature has intent. And I believe that there is an intelligence in nature that drives much of the things that, uh, that go on on this planet. And I actually think that it's a hopeful idea. Um, and it's one of the things that Terrence will be talking about a little bit later. So anyway, I do believe this re- a reconnection of sorts with nature uh, in, in, a, in a way that is, again, symbiotic, as in the days of the garden, as in the days of paradise that we've been told about, You know, a symbiotic connection between humans and the rest of the life forms on this planet. Uh, It was, um, you know, it was said that man walked in the garden with God. Man and woman together walked in the evenings with God as brother and sister. And this is the nostalgia of paradise that we all dream of. Because somewhere in our past, uh, I believe that this was a reality. Um, But... You know, I'm not suggesting that, that... Well, I guess what I am suggesting is that maybe we weren't expelled from the garden, as is described in the, the so-called fall of man. Maybe we simply left, and, and we can return. We are not fallen beings. We are not doomed from the womb, cursed with original sin and all that crap. You know, if we can bring back balance into our own lives, balance between men and women between man and nature, between man and the heart, reconnect to the intelligence of the heart, well, then it's very possible that the earth comes back into balance in this reflective, holographic sort of way. So, now, I don't, I don't, I don't mean we have to paint ourselves blue and run around in jockstraps, you know, but we do have to find a way to incorporate the idea that nature is alive uh, incorporate that back into our worldview into a way that brings back balance, you know you know the butterfly effect is real we 've talked about that on this program before. The butterfly effect uh, basically says that the flutter of the wings of a butterfly or a moth can create a hurricane and this is not an allegory this is not a metaphor it 's the fact of the matter that very small seemingly insignificant events can lead to great, great and unpredictable result. And if you think about that in light of what human beings are doing on this planet, I mean, just think of some of the things that Kent just talked about 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago. And then think about the butterfly effect. And think about this idea that nature is self-similar across scale. And... Um, Think about that stuff as you're listening to Terrence in a few minutes here, because we are not machines. We are spirit in matter, spirit incarnate in matter, and we better start acting like it, or we're going to get more messages, I imagine. We're going to get more messages from nature, uh, like we got over the weekend, and uh For now, at least, on planet Earth, we we have nowhere else to go. So I think it's about time that we start to think about these things a little bit differently. So anyway, we'll be back in a few minutes uh, with that uh, presentation, Unfolding the Stone, from Terrence McKenna. Before that, we'll listen to a little bit of music and uh, come back in just a few. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. 89.5 FM, and this is also the Tragically Hip from Day for Night. This is called Titanic Terrarium.
2: that it was thinkable. Trace a men walking in from the north so we don't run with the one. It's bigger than us and larger than we've found. Guess it's just not done. His great grandfather worked for good years. You see the blimp on Sunday. Wonder what the driver knew about.
1: Tragically Hip, that was a song called Titanic Terrarium, and uh, another fitting, fitting piece of uh, audio candy for you all on this <clears throat> New Year's night, actually now the 2nd of January. And uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Uh, And you're also just about to listen to a presentation uh, by Terrence McKenna from 1991 called Unfolding the Stone. And although it's 14 years old now, it is as valid and relevant and pertinent as it was the day it was spoken. And uh, Terrence is a delight. And if you don't know anything about him, I uh, encourage you to go to my website, uh, www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, and go to the main page there, and there's a link over to Terrence's historical uh, work, Uh, and there are many, many, many sites on the internet that have been devoted to the work of Terrence McKenna, but there are a couple that are more or less official, and I'm linked up to one of those. And from there, uh, you can uh, just uh, make your way down the rabbit hole. So, anyway, if you don't know Terrence, uh, this is a great introduction to him and his material, and I encourage you to learn more about what he had to say. Unfortunately, Terrence is no longer with us. He uh, died back in the year 2000, uh, but his spirit is here, and it is coming through to you tonight on Radio Orbit. And, uh, you know, we just talked to Kent Stedman a half hour ago or so, and Kent and Terrence are sort of cut from the same cloth uh, in many ways and uh, experienced uh, some time together in California in the 70s. And uh, I consider myself very fortunate to have been lucky enough to get exposed to these guys uh, because they've they've made, uh, well, they've just had tremendous influence on my life uh, in, uh, in person, and um, done and that for a whole lot of other people, too. So this is a hopeful talk, uh, believe it or not, from Terrence, and it was during a time that was real ugly in 1991. If you remember the first Gulf World War, version 1.0 with uh, President Bush 1.0, uh, that was going on at this time, and uh, that is the context in which Terrence made the following or gave the following talk. So anyway, without uh, any more delay, let's get right to this now. This is Unfolding the Stone uh, from Terrence McKenna from 1991. And it is also, uh, as I said, something that is very relevant today and uh, a hopeful message uh, for the new year. So listen to it. I'm going to run it in its entirety. It runs about 51 minutes. And when we come back from that, we will have some more music for sure, Uh, and some of that music will be live in studio right here. I've got uh, uh, my buddy Johnny in town from Denver, and he's going to be playing his guitar, and I might be tapping on the bongo drum a little bit, and uh, we're just going to mix it up a little bit during that last half half hour or so of the program. So anyway, stick around for that. It should be really fun, and uh, I want to... We started out the show pretty serious with uh, all of the things that are going on around the world, and that's what this program is about. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to be serious and talk about this stuff uh, because, obviously, the, uh, these things are directly impacting our lives, and um, uh, we need to stay informed about them. So, in any case, uh, it is New Year's, zone we're going to have some fun, and it's going to start right now with Terrence McKenna, Unfolding the Stone. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN.
3: First of all, thank you all for being here I know we're up against the Grateful Dead, my favorite band uh, I'm going to quote them repeatedly It's a thousand to one chance that this would happen And it just shows the world is stranger than you can suppose So, uh, the name of this talk is Unfolding the Stones and I wanted to talk about this. It's a departure for me because I think we've just been through a real hammering over the past ten months. I and mean, if you've still got your optimism intact, and believe me, I do, uh, you've been through the fire. This has not been an easy ten months for uh, the people of this planet or the planet itself. And so I want to... Sort of reach back tonight and invoke a vanished tradition, get to the heart of it, and try to show how we can bring this forward in our lives to empower hope in the most dark of situations, and in fact, even make these dark situations the raw material of a clearer, stronger hope than might ordinarily be the case. A few days ago I was talking to a friend of mine and he wanted to tell me the story of sitting in the presence of a 104-year-old Vietnamese monk. And the guy had basically kept his mouth shut, the monk, hadn't said much around the monastery where he just sort of cleans up. But then he announced he wanted to talk about meditation. And he opened his remarks by saying, We are all luminous beings. Why then do we not appear before each other radiant in our illumination? And this is the conundrum of life. This is the problem. Uh, It was T.S. Eliot who said, Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act falls the shadow. And why is that? As psychedelic people, this is the problem that we grapple with in our own lives. And when we look out at the world, you've heard me say many times, we have the vision, we have the money, we have the technology, But why can we not then appear before each other as radiantly luminous beings? And why cannot we reclaim our planet from toxification, disease, overpopulation, bonehead politics? You know the list. What's the hang-up here? What is the problem? Why is perfection so distant? Well, what I've learned from life and vegetables and travel and books can be summed up in two Greek words. It's the central message of, of the philosopher Heraclitus. And he was always my favorite philosopher, but whenever I would read about him, he was called the crying philosopher. And I had to live to be 44 years old to understand the poignancy of Heraclitus' message. He said, in a nutshell, all flows, all flows. Nothing lasts. Nothing is permanent. And this is the hardest message life has to teach. Because what it says is, your joy is transient your anguish is transient your fortune your home your dream, your moments of great uh, ecstasy your moments of great insight your moments of great empowerment everything is flowing through your hands at the moment that you are aware of it William Blake who in a way set this engine going a couple of centuries ago, said, What is the price of experience? Is it bought for a song or wisdom for a dance in the street? No. It is bought with all that a man has. His wife, his home, his children, Now, this is not a pessimistic message, and William Blake was not a pessimistic guy. He was the same guy who told us that if we could but cleanse the doors of perception, we would perceive the world as it is, infinite, in a grain of sand. How can we take this poignancy, this sense of impermanence, and weld it into something which is paradoxically indestructible, and has meaning in our lives and gives us not only the strength to carry on but the power to be exemplars the power to stand up before other people and let them then feel the power of vision in the paradox of permanence in the face of the need for indestructibility well, to answer that question, I felt that we had to leave the narrow confines of 20th century thinking. And we had to reach back into the byways of human thought that have been, by most of us, somewhat passed over and forgotten, because after all, modern life makes great demands on us. It's enough to just keep your checkbook balanced and your insurance paid. We can't all spend our time delving in the libraries of... uh, of the noetic and Gnostic and hermetic and magical traditions. But I thought it was worthwhile to talk to you about this tonight because we have been through such a difficult ten months. And it was also Heraclitus, the all-flows guy, who said, all is war, all is war. And what he meant was, everything occurs in the presence of its opposite And out of that, there is generated the friction, the heat, and the light that all comes together in an indissoluble package as part of life. So what I want to talk to you about tonight, and how it relates to unfolding the stone, is the notion of alchemy of all things. Alchemy, as I'm sure many of you know, is really the secret tradition of the redemption of spirit from matter. But many of you may imagine that alchemy is simply a a discredited pre-scientific obsession of unbalanced minds interested in changing base metals into gold, lead into the stuff of commerce. This is the benighted reputation that alchemy has acquired in a century so given over to the literal and the material and the non-spiritual that it's lost all touch with the adumbrations of meaning that vibrate behind uh, the perceptions of the alchemist. The central conception of alchemy is the conception of the philosopher's stone. What is it? It's the universal panacea at the end of time. It's the chocolate cake that your mother made once a week when you were a child, the panis super It's all things to all men and all women. If you are hungry, you eat it. If you're dirty, you shower under it. If you need to go somewhere, you sit on it and you fly there. If you have a question, it answers it it's something that the human mind senses in itself and related to invoked worshipped over centuries before the slow rise of the patriarchy and rationalism and materialism turned it into a myth a fairy tale it is not a myth or a fairy tale it is the burning primary reality that lies behind the dross of appearances. Alchemy is based on a philosophy called Hermeticism that was developed in the first and second centuries by Gnostic thinkers, Greeks, Jews, people inside the Roman Empire as it was beginning to show the first signs of degradation and decay who felt a profound disaffection with their world. A disaffection that, on the scale of those times, was as profound as our own existential disaffection. And the Hermetic philosophers drew back from the rise of Christianity with its doctrine of the fall of man and original sin and the stain of Adam and Eve and that whole thing, and took a different tack and made two points which I think we need to recover and live out for ourselves. And the first point was that man, which means men and women, human beings, are divine beings. Not lower than the angels, higher than the angels. The message of the alchemical and hermetic thinkers and the corpus hermeticum actually uses the phrase man is god's brother we have no idea what it would mean in our own lives if we could throw off the notion of ourselves as fallen beings we are not fallen beings when you take into your life the gnosis of the life filled vegetables the psychedelic plants that have stabilized the same societies of this world for millennia, the first message that comes to you is you are a divine being. You matter. You count. You come from realms of unimaginable power and light and you will return to those realms. The second point that these philosophers wanted to make was that fate can be overcome. Fate can be overcome. Now, for the Greco-Hellenic world, what that meant was the starry engines of the machinery of fate that they saw strewn across the night sky because they were uh, intensely aware of the power of the zodiac the stellar shells inhabited by demons that extended out to the unimaginable imperium of the All-Father that was beyond fate. And into that world of astrological fatedness, which is such a strong idea for the Greek mind, the Hermeticists announced fate can be overcome. And they had a novel answer for how this could be done. It can be done through magic, a word not often enough heard in the present world. The overcoming of fate is achieved through magic, and then the stellar machinery becomes not an invasive force into one's life, but an empowering force. Now, some of us may believe in astrology and some of us may not. We are all strongly influenced by the notion of fate, of our powerlessness in an existential world. jean Paul Sartre said, nature is mute. And we, embedded in the media-dense, message-dense, programming-dense matrix of these hyper-societies that we have created, often feel, I think, like hapless atoms, running endlessly according to the blueprints and programs of unseen masters whether it's the banking industry madison avenue whoever we tend to disempower ourselves we tend to believe that we don't matter and in the act of taking that idea to ourselves we give everything away to somebody else to something else so The rebirth of a sense of the stone and its possibility within each of us entails these two ideas, our divinity and our power to overcome fate. There is no uh, inevitability in our lives unless we submit to the idea of inevitability and then give ourselves over to it. Okay. I wish there were more jokes, but it's just been such a tough go. It's been a tough go, I have to tell you. Where can we look in the world to see some confirmation of what I'm saying? How can we draw it down from being, you know, an airy-fairy wrath of a, a bardic Irishman? Well... I think that the place to look is history. Now, if you go to the academies, to those ivory towers that Tim was talking about, and ask, what is history? They will tell you that it's a random walk, an endlessly pointless fluctuation. Empires rise and fall. Migrations of people come and go. That it is essentially meaningless. I don't believe this. I don't even think there's strong evidence for it because what I perceive when I look at the world not only the world of history but the world of nature which out of which history has emerged I see novelty something wonderful, maddening, paradoxical and ever increasing ever more conserved every iota of novelty that comes into existence is somehow saved and passed on. That's why when we uh, walk or drive down Melrose, we see Egyptian fashion motifs, we see fashion statements drawn from the 14th century, the second century, Assyria, Egypt, uh, Angkor Wat, all of the novelty of history coalesces in the living moment. It's always been that way. Every society in the moment of its existence has lived as a resonance, a completion, and uh, a distillation, good alchemical word, a distillation of what has preceded before. And so the alchemical idea that spirit can be redeemed from matter begins to get teeth when you connect the idea of spirit up to the idea of novelty, which has not ordinarily been done. But, you know, novelty is the life of the party and the life of the party is to be high-spirited. And this is what we need to focus on as the thread in the dark labyrinth of the prison of the material world that can lead us back to the light. The universe is an engine for the production of novelty. It always has been since the first moment of the Big Bang 20, 25 billion years ago. Simpler states have been replaced by more complex states, which have then set the stage for yet greater complexity. Well, the drift of this, then, is that the emergence of language and tools and culture and higher ideals like courage and love and self-sacrifice these are not uh, flutes, sports, mistakes these are further steps along the way in the process of the great alchemical furnace of being heating and casting and dissolving and recasting and purifying and recasting alchemical gold and so hard as the world may appear uh, dark as the hour may appear in reality we exist in a dimension of greater opportunity greater freedom greater possibility than has ever been the challenge then is to not drop the ball is to know this and to act on it and to slough off all the leeches and backhandlers and weasels and crypto fascists who want to deny that and turn man into a machine for their own purposes. Alchemy has always perceived this and has delineated stages in the transformational process, and these stages. Are are uh, worth talking about not in the details but in in the two bipolar states which define this they used a bastard Latin and they called them the negredo and the albedo the negredo is the precondition for transformation and what is it? it's shit it's detritus it's flotsam It's debris. It's being HIV positive. It's being deep into your fourth marriage and sinking fast. It's bankruptcy. It's, uh, you know, serum hepatitis. It's the inevitable dark night of the soul that comes upon us. And these dark nights of the soul come upon all of us. Nobody gets through this world without a little dung raining down on them, believe me. I mean, you may evade it for decades, but then there'll be a knock on the door. You know, it's said that uh, the millstones of fate grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. So what do we do with that? Well, the answer is, we welcome it. This is what the alchemists awaited, the negrado, the prima materia, the dark matter, the chaos, the chaos that is the precondition then for redemption. And God knows we've got lots of chaos right now. I mean, we have war, famine, revolution, millions of homeless people on the move, the nation state is dissolving. The relief agencies of the world can't keep up. The various uh, uh, secret societies, mafias and cabals that have always tried to tie us into chains, they're all working overtime. We are in the Negredo condition. Hallelujah. This means... This means... That the kissing has to stop. But the fun can begin, the real fun. The other end of this bipolar condition in alchemy was called the albedo, or albedo, depending on whether or not you came from a coal mining town in Colorado, like I did. The albedo, the whitening. And that means that out of the chaos can come a new beginning, a new reality, a new hope. And then the process is one of, and the you see these alchemists existed in an, uh, a philosophically more naive, we quote, more naive world than we do. So they actually projected onto the processes of matter their own interior psychic condition so they did work with matter and fire and furnaces and retorts. And what they would do is they would take uh, the primal materia, lead or excrement or something else, and then they would heat it and turn it to ash and then calcinate the ash or pour solvents through the ash and get an extract and then heat that and sublimate it. And out of this, almost as a footnote, came modern chemistry. But that was not the important side of it. The important side of it was that they were projecting mental states onto the swirling retorts of their laboratory. It was like a magical mirror for them. It was, in fact, dare we say the P word, it was psychedelic. What psychedelic means is getting your mind out in front of you by whatever means necessary so that you can relate to it as a thing in the world and then work upon it. So from the negredo to the albedo, there were a series of uh, these stages. Now, I said a few minutes ago that magic was the key, and by magic, I mean the reclaiming and the reconstruction of language to a sufficient degree that it becomes at first possible, then probable, then inevitable to each one of us that miracles can happen. Miracles can happen. The Grateful Dead have a song. We need a miracle every day. We do need a miracle every day. Well, is that too tall an order? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Years ago, one of these talking vegetables said to me, said, mind conjures miracles out of time. Out of time. Time is the prima materia on which the alchemical process works. The alchemists, uh, again in their naive way, believed that uh, precious metals, diamonds, gold, sapphires, actually grew in the earth. Because for this alchemical point of view, everything was alive. And my friend Rupert Sheldrake is leading the charge to create a new birth of that perception inside science. The idea that nature, all of nature, is alive. Not simply organic, cellular nature, but that the earth itself is a living being. So mind conjures miracles out of time. And the proof that this can be done, and it's an incontrovertible proof, and I defy any naysayer or bring down to overcome it, is ourselves we are the proof that mind can conjure miracles out of time if it weren't for us there would just be birds and foxes and coral reefs and glaciers but nature was not content with that level of novelty a million years ago a hundred thousand years ago nature grew discontented and said you know let's Raise the ante. Let's go to higher stakes poker in this planetary game. Let the monkeys speak. Let them build fires. Let them elaborate tools. Let them march forward onto the stage of creation. And remember I said the hermetic faith was that humankind was the brother of could act as the brothers and sisters of God not moats in God's creation but co-partners in the invocation out of being of yet greater novelty why? for play for fun just the cosmic madness of it all the pure cussedness of it all uh, to raise the stakes higher and higher and higher. Now, I keep going back to this thing of can it be done because I want to convince you because I'm so certain. Uh, I love Herman Melville and his rhetoric and friends of the whale, bear with me. Uh, For Herman Melville, the whale was not the endangered creature it is today. It was uh, the dark cosmic god of Christianity that haunts us and tries to pull us down. And there's a wonderful speech in Moby Dick where Starbuck, the first mate, you remember wimpy little Starbuck, he stood for Christian right reason and he says to Captain Ahab, to seek revenge on a dumb brute seems blasphemy." And Ahab says, Blasphemy, Starbucks, speak not to me of blasphemy. I would strike out the sun if it insulted me. For could it do that? Then could I do the other? For there is ever a sort of fair play. And that's the point of that wrath. There is a sort of fair play. You've been told from the cradle that the death was stacked against you. Fall of man, original sin, so forth and so on. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. There is a sort of fair play. And if you can get in touch with that in your life, you know, when Muhammad wouldn't come to the mountain, the mountain came to Muhammad. That's fair play. And if you can have that perception, the world will begin to work for you. It will begin to move toward you as the mountain moved toward Mohammed. The mushroom said to me once, uh, nature loves courage. Nature loves courage. And I said, what's the payoff on that? And it said, It shows you that it loves courage because it will remove obstacles. You make the commitment, and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Dream the impossible dream, and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all these uh, uh, teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold, this is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how magic is done. It's done by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering that it's a feather bed. And there's no other way to do it. Uh, This is why I have always taken the position That as modern people, you know, we can't go out and uh, set armies marching or launch religions, and who would want to, anyhow? But to the people who say adventure has fled, it's all humdrum. I just know, you know, that they have forgotten the five grams of psilocybin sitting in their refrigerator. I mean, Magellan may have had excitement rounding the horn, but you in your living room later tonight can put him in the shade if you have the courage to do the things that are necessary to do. And we know what they are. And, of course, the first thing to do is to tell society to fuck off because they don't know what's going on. This is a matter between the person and the plant. The person and the planet. And all the detritus of history, all the games that people have tried to lay on you, you know, they just want to get you down in the ditch that they're in. We know this because Aboriginal societies have never broken the faith. The living Gnosis is still there, not for people who paint themselves blue and dance around buck naked, but for us as well. But it takes an act of courage, not a weekend at Esalen, uh, not uh, a a trip to the ashram where where they tell you that if you'll sweep up for a dozen years, then they'll hand on a flaming. no. the speed with which you can reach death is under 45 seconds if you know where the elevator shaft is and you do you do I don't have to tell you I've been telling you Uh, well so uh, there's one more alchemical metaphor or stage that I want to mention here uh because I think it, it refers to this psychedelic possibility. Not all the alchemists included this stage in their in their uh, recensions of the work. But for me, I think it's central. Again, in their church, uh, baptized church Latin, they called it the Cauda Pavones, the peacock's tail. Now, the physical basis of this is, if you've ever... Played around with metal and fire you know that there are certain metals that when they pass through a certain temperature range uh, iridescent colors play across the surface and sometimes even freeze and in uh, uh, the glazing of to- pottery at low temperatures in Raku what these pottery masters are aiming for are these wonderful iridescent surfaces that play across the glaze and then can be frozen into it. Well, this is the peacock's tail. And uh, in alchemy, this was thought to precede the final whitening, the passage into the pure, uh, the goal, really. And rather than see the present world as exclusively a veil of tears and a black prison. And none of these metaphors are mutually exclusive. You see, the alchemist, the great strength of alchemical thinking and the way in which it is completely antithetical to science, and in fact why science has so much contempt for it, is because the alchemists have the wisdom to see that everything occurs in the presence of its opposite. That it's not either or, it's both and. They call this the coincidencia oppositorum, the, co- the coincidence of opposites, the union of opposites. This is a great truth because I think all of us live under the rubrics of am I good, am I bad, am I lazy, am I obsessed, and The answer is that it is never one or the other. It does a tremendous injustice to being to ignore the union of opposites. Now, science, in order to do its work, which is essentially a technological work, not a deep philosophical work, it's a minor art, science. That's all it is. It's a minor art. It's the art of the physically possible. But it has presumed to be the arbiter of all thought, all feeling, all worth. My God, the the hubris of René Descartes to divide the world into the primary and secondary qualities. And what are the primary qualities? Motion, uh, 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 mass, spin, momentum... And what are the secondary qualities? Color, feeling, taste, tactility. It tells you that you're nothing. You never touch reality. You live in that world of sense and therefore can only aspire to the real world through some kind of mathematical disembowelment of your own, what your own body, what your own feelings are telling you. So in the Caldecavones, the Peacock's Tail, this is where the contradictions meet and generate heat and light and an excruciating sense of poignancy and meaning and identity. And our world, as we experience it tonight, is quintessentially, another good alchemical word, is quintessentially that coincidentia appositorum. Now, where do we meet this most dramatically in our own lives?
1: KOPN 89.5 FM.
3: ...phenomenon of birth. Of birth. If you had just parked your flying saucer in the bushes and uh, came from a world where sexuality was unknown and people were grown in vats or something, and you came upon a woman in the act of giving birth, it would appear to be a catastrophe in
2: progress,
3: a tragedy at the limit of tragedy. Blood is being shed, anguish is on the surface, real agony pervades the situation. And yet, and yet, nature in her wisdom Has bound pain and ecstasy, death and completion, regeneration and dissolution into that experience in such an indissoluble fashion that no woman can miss the point. No woman can miss the point. Unfortunately, Men have traditionally averted their eyes. This has gone on in a hut at the edge of the village. Nobody wanted to be there. Maybe the shaman would be there, but he was loaded in order to be there. And the mystery of mysteries goes on outside the sight of men. Now, in our world, we are caught in this kind of metaphor, a cosmic birth, a birth of planetary scale is underway Uh, there is agony there is no doubt about it I remember an embryologist who once taught me pointed out that the fetus in the womb is literally sculpted by the hand of death that the immature hand of the fetal organism is a webbed claw And that it isn't that the flesh retracts to form the human hand, it's that the cells in between die and slough off into the amniotic fluid and are carried away. The the fetal child is literally sculpted into life by the hand of death. And our world is in this kind of a circumstance. There are no rational solutions at this point we are now in the hands of the miracle makers the shamans the mind of the planet the life of the ocean and the atmosphere and it's going to get tougher and so we have to forge the indestructible adamantine stone of alchemical hope because heavier challenges lie ahead A hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, I cannot but imagine that this planet will be empty of human beings. Not because we have become extinct, but because we have gone to our fate. And it's unimaginable at this moment because we are in the planetary birth canal. We are at the peak of transition right now. And the walls are literally closing in. We are being suffocated. We are fighting like a strangled man to try and save ourselves. And yet we have to believe, and I invite you to educate yourself about the history of the planet. There is no reason not to believe that we will come through. We will come through. There is light at the end of the tunnel there is a meaning to history but it's an alchemical meaning history is a vast alchemical engine for the forging of an alchemical humanity and I don't have the answers believe me I don't know whether we go to another star whether we become eight angstroms high and all live in a block of metal underneath Mount Everest whether we march off to the heart of the sun the scenarios are endless because the human imagination has such a power to bootstrap itself to higher and higher levels what would Paleolithic man have made of the, the religion of Pharaonic Egypt what would the pharaohs have made of the uh, engines of war and hydraulic machinery created by the Romans what would the gothic uh, scholastic uh, enlightenment have made of the age of cybernetics psychedelics and virtual reality the imagination is the alchemical deus ex machina that can lift us out of time out of the negredo of history and into higher and higher and higher states of being now there is no reason to simply then ride along in this process because another perception of the alchemist that is central to getting this all lined up so that it works is the idea of the macrocosm and the microcosm what does that mean? it means that the world truly is fractal in the most profound sense meaning that what is going on on some very large scale is condensed, intensified, and recapitulated on smaller scales so that the dynamics of a love affair are the dynamics of an empire. Both are the dynamics of the evolution, expansion, and extinction of a species. There is only one way that things can happen. And whether we're talking about microphysical events or the life of an entire solar system, the curve of binding energy is going to be the same. So that means that this redemption of spirit from matter, that is the historical process that we are embedded in, we can do our part by working on our small section of this, which is ourselves. This is why Alchemy was so fascinating to the Jungian uh, psychologists because they saw that this work of redeeming spirit from matter is nothing more than the work of redeeming the self from the contaminated dross of the traumatized and damaged psyche that we each inherit from our passage through the parental Chickpile. Um, pile we each have that gift to deal with that negredo is within ourselves and this is why we're in therapy and this is why we take psychedelics and meditate or do whatever we do because we all have this dross within us and this is a great gift it means that we can begin consciously the process of distillation and sublimation and casting of ourselves into that golden being, that luminous creature that this 104 year old Vietnamese monk uh, sensed and evoked uh, to my friend. But it's more than that. We do that, we do that alchemical work to perfect our own sense of the union of opposites our own sense of the presence of the living alchemical stone within in order that we may then participate, act in, and be part of the transformation of the planet and it is an immense transformation and there is no reason to doubt it because the emergence of organic life from what preceded it is as dramatic a miracle as anyone could imagine The emergence of language from mute bestiality, which is only 100,000 years in the past, is as dramatic a miracle as anyone could imagine. The emergence of a planet instantaneously unified by electricity and media is, and this is only 50, 60 years in our past, it's still going on, is as dramatic a miracle as anyone could imagine. It's absolutely irrational to not be filled with the fire of consuming hope. You just have to overcome the leveling that we inherit from these empty existential scientific ideas. And when we do that and lift our eyes to the real living spiritually um, empowered reality that exists in nature in society in our lover in ourselves then you see that the peacock's tail the cow de pavones is a a transcendental object at the end of time an enormous uh, unspeakable something that beckons across the historical landscape that casts an enormous shadow that reaches clear back to the earliest moments of the universe that we have always been in the grip of that iridescent, strange attractor that has propelled our poetry, our art, our best moments have always been when a tiny scintilla, another good alchemical word, a tiny spark Of that alchemical completion burned for a moment in our mind, in our life, in our perception. And we occupy a special position in regard to this. Millions, thousands of generations of human beings have come and gone and could only glimpse this in the ecstasy of eroticism and psychedelic empowerment and ritual magic but we are the last people beyond us lies the mystery if we have but the courage to move forward into that abyss to believe that nature will reward the dreamer then we can complete that wonderful Irish toast which says, May you be alive at the end of the world. Because it's that close. It cannot wander much longer. All of the preconditions have been been met. And the peacock's tail grows daily, whiter and more radiant and more brilliant as we sense now breaking into our dreams breaking into our waking lives the presence of this attractor it has always given people meaning But we are the privileged inheritors of that meaning and we have then the privilege of putting it all together in one piece and standing ready at the end of history to go into the mystery and be completed so that's the end of my song
1: all right there you have it this is Mike Hagan you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN and uh that was Terrence McKenna from 1991 a presentation that he did in June of that year called Unfolding the Stone and uh I sure hope you enjoyed it as much as I did Terence uh, Terrence is an inspiration even today uh that was a a talk that he gave nearly 15 years ago and uh all of those ideas still perfectly valid, perfectly relevant, maybe even more so today. Uh, so uh, that's another one of my New Year's resolutions. I'm going to expose my listeners uh, to more of the ideas of people like Terrence McKenna. And um, as you know, we've interviewed his brother, uh, Dennis, who's a, uh, uh, a Ph.D. ethnopharmacologist uh, a couple of months ago, in fact, Dennis and I are in contact, and when he gets back in the states he 's in Peru right now uh, on a uh, expedition, looking for some particular plant uh, compounds that will uh, that will help with some psychological disorders that they 're working on anyway so uh, so that 's uh, something that I wanted to play for you for the new year that 's my gift to you, and I hope you recognize it as such and uh, in a minute, we have another New Year's gift for you, a, um, uh, a special treat as it is. My buddy uh, Johnny Payton is in town, he's a friend of mine from way, way back. We've been friends for a long time and he's a uh, guitarist and a songwriter, lives back in Denver, Colorado where I stomped around for quite a few years and uh, him and I have a lot of history and uh, I love his music and I've uh, played a lot of it with him and uh, I can't wait to to hear some stuff tonight. John's in the studio with me and, uh, we'll do that in just a few minutes, okay? Before that, uh, we'll get things set up here and we, um, we, uh, play a little bit of music to set things up and, uh, Terrence got me thinking about the 70s and about, uh, uh about riding out the storm and, uh, coming out of the tunnel. And I think that's where we are right now and, uh, There's another way to say that, I guess. This is The Doors with Riders on the Storm. We'll be back in a minute with Johnny Payton on the guitar. And uh, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit.
2: Girl, you gotta love your man Take him by the hand On the storm, riders on the storm, into this house we're born, into this world we're thrown, like a dog without a bone, and actor out of moan, riders on the storm.
1: This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. You have been for the last couple hours. And uh, that was The Doors, Riders on the Storm. Back in just a second here with uh, some live in-studio music with Johnny Payne. Got to take care of some business real fast, though
2: along with a financial gift from the Blue Note are excited to be bringing Ani DeFranco to Columbia, Missouri for one show only at the Blue Note on February 24th. Ani DeFranco is a songwriter, vocalist, and guitarist perpetually on the move. Her music encompasses raw folk punk through jazz funk grooves. Information is available about the smoke-free Ani DeFranco show at thebluenote.com or 573-874-1944.
1: All right, here we are back at KOPN, downtown Columbia. This is Radio Orbit Mike Hagen, and Mike Hagan. And I'm in the studio right now with a friend of mine named John Payton, who's a guitarist and a songwriter and a great musician friend of mine in town from Denver. John, you got uh, uh, Mike out there? Say something to
4: me. I hope so. How's it going, Columbia? Thanks All right. for having me here, Mike.
1: Yeah, no doubt. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. That guitar is so sweet, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> Thank uh, you. yeah, um, we're going to do some sort of uh, radio by the seat of our pants here. Uh, Johnny's going to be playing a couple songs here. We're going to mix in some other stuff. But uh, Happy New Year, by the way, to everybody. And uh, like I said, a special, uh, special little treat for you all tonight. So, all right, John, what do you want to do here? Uh,
4: i do a song I wrote about, a uh, little piece of music about a year and a half ago. And it is called lace. This is lace.
2: Right on. Ah,
4: thanks. Incredible. It sounded all right. It's kind of funny because, you know, thinking back to the last interview, (sighs) the beginning of the song, I just had the most negative images in my mind and I just played lousy. You know, then towards the middle, I started saying, hey, put positive thoughts in. you know, and I started getting a better imagery in, into my mind, and it just, it totally translated back out.
1: Oh, man, I didn't, and well, I didn't notice the beginning the being bad, part, but who
4: knows? Anyway, know. that, uh,
1: let's say, uh, that is from Johnny's yet-to-be-titled, yet-to-be-released <laughs> CD that's upcoming, and I'll keep you apprised of that, and we'll, uh, we'll do something else here, um. Uh, I know, Johnny, you want to take a little break and play uh, play that Zeppelin? Yeah, play that. Yeah, that fits actually perfect Mm -hmm. with what you just played. Uh, Back in a minute, we'll do something else with Johnny Payton. And um, in the meantime, check this out the rain song, Led Zeppelin, from Houses of the Holy. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it. Zeppelin from way back, a while back at least for sure. Uh, The Rain Song from Houses of the Holy. Back in the studio, this is Mike Hagen, Radio Orbit on KOPN, and I'm sitting in with my pal Johnny, Johnny Payton from Denver, Colorado, playing some guitar for us tonight, so let's do something else, John, what do you want to do?
4: The song is called Tree Pose, it's, I don't know couple years old, and it goes like this...
2: Confession
4: The name of that song? That's called Tree Pose. Tree it's,
1: Pose, yeah, that's one we played the other night. Incredible.
4: Um, I met this girl once. Oh, man. The first time I saw her, she was doing a tree pose at a party in the middle of the kitchen. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I got to meet this girl. <laughs> I'm like, what the? It's a yoga pose, by the way, a tree pose. And I was like, wow. She didn't eating chips, I think, at a
1: time. Mm-hmm. Funny. All right, cool. Uh, well, that was great. And uh, thanks so much, man. Okay, cool. Oh, thanks uh, for drumming. Thanks. Oh, no no problem. It was Mike on the drums. Ah, that was fun. Um, yeah, John and I go way back, and we played a lot of music together, so we sort of had this synergy together where, even if we haven't played together for a while, we, I kind of know his style, which is very unorthodox. I might add, if you watched him play, you'd be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Uh, but it is uh, incredible uh, what he's done on the guitar, and I hope you guys are enjoying it. So, all right, anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's do something else here real fast. Let's play a little... Dire Straits, um, this is called Right Across the River from from Brothers in Arms, and uh, then we'll come back and we'll have Johnny kind of finish the show out for us, I think. Uh, Carol will be in here in just a few minutes uh, doing Jewish Spectrum, as she always does, and... Um, uh, Anyway, that's about it. So back in a minute. This is Mike, Radio Orbit, KOPN. This is Dire Straits. And uh, we'll be back in a minute with another song from Johnny Payton. Right on. Check this out. story. That was Dire Straits uh, from Brothers in Arms. That's called Right Across the River, and this is Mike Hagan. Closing things up here, this is Radio Orbit. You've been listening for the last, oh, three hours, hopefully. Uh, If not, this show is available on the web. As always, it'll be up in a couple days at www.radioorbit.com. And uh, my email address, as I said before, is orbitradio at aol.com. Uh, so send me a line like you always do, and uh, I'd be glad to answer if I can, okay? All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy New Year. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight, and I hope you listen next week. I forgot to mention on uh, upcoming guests, there's a, uh, a guy who I had on, uh, who I actually interviewed a few weeks ago from um, Costa Rica, and he's an ethnobotanist down there. His name is Jonathan Weisberger, and... Uh, he uh, is doing some great work at a place called Guaria de Osa, which is Spanish for the the orchid of the Osa, and the Osa Peninsula is where these guys have this institute uh, and botanical uh, sanctuary that they, um, that they maintain. And it's also sort of a retreat, and they do all kinds of different uh, events there. And there's one particular event coming up in February where Jeremy Narby will be there and... Uh, um, Francisco Villarreal, uh, I believe that's the correct uh, name, or Victor Villarreal. I, I, I apologize for that, Victor. Uh, anyway, and some other great uh, uh, leading, cutting-edge doctors and scientists in these fields of uh, ethnobotany and um, sort of this new idea of intelligence in nature that we kind of touched on tonight, not that we touched on, that Terence went deeply into tonight. And uh, this is not... Uh, new age hocus pocus anymore this stuff is real and people have known about it for a long time and uh those indigenous cultures um that have some of these uh this folk knowledge and this folk uh understanding of plants and medicines it's uh, very valuable information for us these days, and we have to preserve that knowledge, and that's what Jonathan is doing. So I'm probably going to edit, edit that interview and, um, and air that next week. So I hope you listen in for that. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy your week, okay? Uh, Happy New Year. Make it right. And uh, go listen to some Terrence McKenna, all right? In the meantime, we're going to listen to some Johnny Payton. Uh, slowing things down here for a minute, and uh, Carol will be coming up in just a minute. With Jewish spectrum, so all right, John. Hey, before uh, we go up there, I just want to say thanks for coming in and playing this stuff for us. I really John. appreciate it. It's thanks. wonderful.
2: Thanks, Mike, for having me here. And
1: again, you guys that are listening, uh, you're getting a treat. So, all right, take it, John.